Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of the Tennis Abstract podcast. My name is Jeff Sackman from TennisAbstract.com, hence the podcast name. And with me, as always, is Carl Bialik. Hi there, Carl. Hi, Jeff. Carl is also the host of the 30 Love podcast, which is a series of conversations with people from around the tennis world, all in 30 minutes or less. And we have some exciting news that I haven't been able to share for a long time, which there is a new episode of 30 Love out there. So if you've been waiting for the opportunity to get fresh, hot 30 Love content uh, to check out the show, now is a great chance. So in an hour or so, when we're done talking about the French Open, you can dig into that as well. So this is a special midweek, mid-slam episode, since Carl and I are in the same city, in the same room. We can't pass up this chance. We are in the second week uh, headed toward the end of the French Open. The quarterfinals are all in the books, a little later than we expected with some of them because of some ongoing rain delays. But quarterfinals are in the books, semifinals are set, the schedule is out for Friday with all the semifinals happening on the same day. We'll get into the scheduling in a little while and a little bit of controversy brewing there. But I want to start with the tennis itself. And on the women's side, top half, semifinal is... I mean, all these are surprises, but two surprises to start us off with. Ashley Barty and Amanda Anisimova. Amanda Anisimova knocked out Simona Halep. Uh, she came in, I think she's ranked outside the top 50. So unseated, very little slam experience since she's uh, at the advanced age of 17. Uh, Carl, we talked going into the French Open of this long list of women who we thought had a chance. That were, we, I was kind of calling it the 1% club. People go to 1% chance of, of winning the tournament. And we came up with, I think, 11 names. When I, when I ran a pre-tournament simulation, I got something like 19 names. And I don't think Yenis Mobile was one of those. Are any, were any of the semifinalists? Vondrosheva definitely. Oh. I think Barty was. Um, I mean, she was so strong overall that even if she wasn't on clay. Exactly. She's one or two on the, the ELO table overall. And Kanto, with some of her clay wins, she's she's surprisingly strong. Uh, so, so yeah, they're in there. But, I mean, I don't think anyone was... I don't think anyone was picking any of these four as, I don't know, top five favorites. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, Carl's making a very strong <laughs> negative face this year. So, Barty Enesimova, I mean, would you agree? Enesimova's a big surprise here, right? Ashley Barty was, she had an outside chance of making a run. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Enesimova, she she knocked out Simona Halep. Um, she's had a little bit of a lucky draw. She got Aliana Bolsova in the previous round. That's a, a qualifier who was barely registered in, in tour-level draws over the, the last season or over her whole career. She's young. Um, her signature win over the course of the tournament was Arena Sabalenka in the second round, but Sabalenka has rarely done, accomplished much on clay, and she looked a little shaky in that match. So it was, a, I think, a big surprise. I mean, no one expected Anisimova to win this match against Simona Halep, except for maybe Mr. Anisimova, her father. Uh, and it's actually not Anisimova. <laughs> that wouldn't be his last name. Well, I thought you knew him from the way you said it. <laughs> no, if I knew him, I wouldn't have said Mister. I would have said his name, and I also would have said his last name correctly. So, so yeah, it's clear that I don't know him, but he probably did think she had a chance. I mean, Carl, I don't, we didn't. Did, well, we did do probabilities for the women's quarters. I think I had Anisimova as twenty percent 
do you remember where you were at going to that match? Only higher than <laughs> than yours, but not but not very high. No, she was probably for both of us the biggest uh, underdog. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, I mean, I, for men and women. Yeah, I I would agree with that. We were Nishikori, maybe. Nishikori was in the same ballpark. Yeah, I think I, ha- I had said 22% for Nishikori. It, it, the market was 20 to 1 in, in favor of Nadal, and Nadal made that those betters look smart. It didn't, didn't look like a remotely close match. But Amanda Anasimova, nobody saw this coming. She's 17. I mean, what do we make of this? Do we see her in the semifinals of not only a Grand Slam, but the Grand Slam that she wouldn't be expected to make a breakthrough run at? I mean, are we looking at a future number one, future megastar, American women, women's tennis leader sort of player here? Yeah, possibly looks more possible with every win. I mean, beating Halep on clay at the French Open, where she's defending champ, in the quarterfinals, pretty one-sidedly, Halep not looking injured, that's, that's a great win. I mean, this is such a small sample that we have for her. And one thing that we we don't see that often is such a clean, apparent improvement for someone so young. Like it's not that clean. She's definitely had some some uh, early exits this year, but it could just be that we're seeing someone who is even in just five months, like significantly better than she was at the Australian Open when she already had a really nice run. Yeah, and I mean this is the age to do it. We've talked a lot in some recent episodes this year about how much you can expect players to improve. And I, th- I think we maybe overestimate how much players can improve later in their career. We get optimistic and we see a shot that looks good one day and think, ooh, this is a new forehand that, so, that Ernest Gulbis has. Um, but for the most part, players, once they reach their, let's say, mid-20s, maybe even early 20s, they are what they are. I mean, they can tweak things. They can get mentally stronger. They can get better, but there's a limit to how much. But she's 17. I mean, most most of the other players we're talking about in this draw, um, in the field in general, even the other young ones, like Arena Sabalenka, we weren't talking about Sabalenka when she was 17. Most 17-year-old players are already out of the junior girls' draw. Uh so, so yeah, we would expect a big improvement. And if you're going to be number one or even top five or top ten, this is the age when you need to be really developing. Uh, what do you think is making her so dangerous? And what's what does she do well? She's aggressive with some margin. I mean, she she's able to to make good choices about when to be aggressive, and she also can defend, can move well. Um, she, she also could improve a lot of things and seems to be aware of that and is working on it, which is maybe partly why we're seeing the results improve. But uh, just like a tremendous amount of, of talent and what seems like a really good tennis brain going with it. Yeah, I, w- I, I watched the Halep and Isimova match this morning, which was a little depressing for me as a Simona fan and was was struck that your point's really good about the margin. She is very aggressive. She hits really hard. Uh, she hits very deep. She has a strong serve. But she was rarely hitting lines. I mean, it, it, I also went back and looked at some of the, the, the Sabalenka match, and Sabalenka has a lot in common with that, but she often does go for the lines, and that's where she goes wrong. So they were both hitting really hard, consistently hitting within a foot or two of the baseline, just slugging away. And... 
if you watch a couple points here or there, it wasn't clear who was winning. Like they, they were both hitting the ball really well, but Sabalenka was missing and Anisimova wasn't. That's an interesting thing about having that strong of a game is you don't need to hit the lines. I mean, you can if you can push Halep around and keep her off balance and make her work like that without having to come within several inches of corners, then I mean, you're really pummeling the ball, and, and that's what she's doing. How precise are tennis players? Are the best tennis players in their in their aim? And maybe it's different in terms of depth and width, but I thought there was someone who tried to kind of answer that. I don't know. If, the only thing I can think of is I, I know the Tennis Australia analytics group has they've, they've done some work. They've tried to quantify... Well, they come up with a couple measures for distance from the lines. When I did some work with them uh, analyzing when players chose to challenge, they looked at how far the ball was from the line to, to get a sense of when it was possible to challenge. So they're at least doing the math and figuring out that you know this shot came within this many inches of the corner, this many inches of the line. Uh, but I don't remember seeing any, any analysis of that for that sort of discussion we're having here. Uh, it would be interesting. I, I think... I think especially in the context of all these big hitters like Yastrzemska and, and Sabalink and now Anisimova because it, it it seems like it would be really hard to sustain the sort of power and aggression that they have and aim for the lines in addition to just being unnecessary. Um, so la- in our last episode a few days ago, we were predicting the outcome of all the quarterfinals, and that was fun, hopefully also fun for you and not excessively navel-gazing on our part. Uh, we're trying something even more in-depth this week. So the idea here is we don't want other predictions to contaminate our own predictions. We don't just want to say, like, oh, ELO seems a little high, the market seems a little low. We want to come up with our own numbers, um, contaminated only by looking at forecasts for the last several years on a week-by-week week basis. Um, so here's – just to give you an idea of our process, I can, it, I noted some things down beforehand. I made my prediction, then I calculated an ELO prediction, then I figured out what the market said. So I have all those on hand. I'm not coming up with this as we go, but Carl doesn't have these in front of him. Carl is going to have to come up with these off the top of his head. Maybe he's thought of them before. I don't know. We've been talking about it all day. But um, the point is, his and my forecasts for these matches are not influenced by the market or the ELO forecasts. But I will be able to tell you them, so we can have a discussion about them. So let's start with Barty Innesimova. Carl, who you got and by how much? Uh, you mean the probability how much, not the margin of the, of the match? Yes, good, <laughs> okay. question. good question and <laughs> correct answer. Um, so I've contaminated myself by looking up your post about who had at least a 1% chance before the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that was breaking the rules, but we were talking about that, and I realized that you were right. All the other three women besides Anisimova had at least one percent chance. And just for the record, consulting the heavy topspin blog is never against the rules. If, <laughs> if anyone out there is wondering if at any time they should do that, just go for it. Agreed. Uh, and Barty was actually the fifth favorite. Hmm. So based on that, um, you know, I think that I'm gonna. So am I, do you want me to give the underdog probability again? Yep. Okay. 
32 is interestingly right in the middle of the market and the ELO forecast. Um, the market says Anisimova has a 38% chance of winning. ELO says she has only a 24% chance of winning. It's a little tricky with ELO for a player like Anisimova since she hasn't played much on clay. And I think that's a lot of, what, of what's going on. Um, but even without that, she'd be the underdog. So ELO 24, Carl 32, market 38. <laughs> I think Anisimova is going to win. I've got her at 58%. <laughs> so, wow. uh, we, we were talking last week that we were maybe agreeing too much. We were a little close. But, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going with Amanda here. I, she looks so good against Simona. Uh, I, think, I think Barty's going to have a tough time uh, hitting around her, I guess, with the, with the slice. I think Anisimova is going to pass her a lot when she tries to come forward. Uh, like fifty eight percent isn't obviously a strong preference. I, I don't think it's a lot by any means, but but yeah, if I had to pick a side, I'd pick Anisimova. You have to pick a side. Um, it's it's funny. She just beat the best, the top rated player on clay, according to Elo, and according to my heart. Yeah, and she did it in straight sets, and you watched it, so I think maybe that accounts for some of the fifty eight percentage points of her. Maybe it does, but I did, uh, after that, I also watched Ashley Barty's quarterfinal match, which she looked good in. Um, she didn't beat the best clay player on earth, but she beat a good clay player in Madison Keys. I mean, maybe I should be influenced more because there's there's some similarities between Madison Keys and Amanda Nisimova. So Barty may have a similar match in front of her tomorrow. And, and not many similarities between Halep and Barty. <laughs> no, not so many. Um, so that's that's interesting. Do you think this will be a three-setter? <laughs> we haven't had too many deciding sets in, in these later rounds of either draw. Um, so it seems bold to predict it, but sure. <laughs> if I predict it, it will go. Yeah, I guess if I'm predicting 58%, that means I'm I'm leaning towards three sets if it's going to be that close of a match. But Okay, I, that's... That's fun to see such a range between Elo at 24% for Amanda and me at 58 and a few things in between. Even the range between Elo and the markets is interesting to me in that um, I... Yeah, I think a lot of that is that is that Barty is so strong in Elo, and I don't think markets and betters would take her as, as seriously. And let's keep in mind, this is Elo before the tournament, and... Yeah. It, 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 if you're betting, you probably are going to think, oh, Anisimova just beat Simona Halep. <laughs> you're not going to say, I am going strictly with pre-tournament ELO. I'm going to throw my money away. Congratulations, William Hill, you now have my money. Uh, so, yes, I think if, if we updated Anisimova's ELO with the Sabalenka win, with the, um, the huge Bolsova win, the Harmony Tan win in the first round, and the Simona Halep win, then she would be higher, especially since she hasn't played much on clay. So... There will, would have been some big jumps. I, I think the ELO prediction would still be below the market prediction of 38%, but it would be closer. So, second semifinal. Johanna Conta, the, the British woman who doesn't really slide, against Marketa Vondrosheva, the Czech woman who most definitely does. Um, th- these are both fascinating to me. Vondrosheva... I was rooting against her a little bit because she's beaten Simona Halep recently on clay and twice this year, so I didn't want Halep to find her in the final, and I guess I got my wish that <laughs> they're not playing in the final. 
Kanta, I also didn't expect to advance. I mean, I've, I've seen her play in clay and not been impressed, but I did go back and watch that Kanta Stevens match in the quarterfinals, and Kanta just blew her off the court. I mean, it was astonishing. What was the stat in the second set? Seven, 17 straight service points, something like that? 17 straight service points, 20 out of 21. And that's service points, not first serve points. Like, Sloan could not win a point on serve. The one point she won on Kanta's serve was a double fault. And St- Sloan is, what, top 15, top 20 returners in the world? I would think at least. If, if she was top five, at least until that match, this tournament, um, that's... I would think that would be at least as much on the basis of her returning. As, yeah, maybe. As I guess serving. I think of her having a good serve. Yeah. But sure, I mean, in top, top 10, whatever we want to call yeah. it, like that's a very good returner to neutralize on, on a slow <laughs> surface. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive stuff. So I'm really having to rethink this. I, mean, I, I did watch that with an eye on contest movement to see if I'm missing something or she found some good drugs or I don't know <laughs> what happened. But... Maybe it just doesn't matter. I mean, is that something we should take into consideration, that a big hitter on clay can make the surface not matter? Sure. I mean, we've seen big hitters win the French Open in the women's tournament a bunch of times in recent years. And um, Sharapova, eventually, maybe we could say, became a clay quarter. But the first time she won it, she wasn't. But she still just... um, hit people off the court. And then Serena, I think, never totally comfortable on clay. Won it three times? Could be. At least twice. Um, And Ostapenko, who is comfortable on clay, but, like, you know, just blew Halep off the court, even though it was a slow court. And Halep is a great defender. In fairness, that was was a three-setter. It was close much of the match. Right, but she had to win two sets, and that's how she won the two sets. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's if if Ostapenko's winning, she's blowing somebody off the court, blasting somebody off the court. So... Yeah, and, and it's interesting here. In a sense, I'm rooting for an Anisimova von Vershova final because we've got two youngsters with very different styles. We've talked a little in recent episodes about the variety in von Vershova's game and her drop shots. And Kant has been hitting a fair number of drop shots as well, which I didn't really think of as a big part of her game, but she's been hitting her share. Uh, do you remember seeing Kanta hit a lot of drop shots? I do, but... You know, now I'm questioning my own memory and checking the match charting project. Um, do you think that a player like Von Dershova moves really well, comfortable playing far behind the baseline, uh, lots of variety? Do you think she's in a better position to to neutralize Conta's power than, I guess, someone like Sloan? I mean, Sloan fits, checks some of those same boxes. But yeah, she often hangs out pretty deep, too. Um Are we so we're talking through the match and then giving the prediction? Apparently, <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe this we'll is all good enough for the match. Yeah, we're making the rules up as we go along. Um, Our advertisers had no input. Yeah, yeah, Kanta does hit a fair number of drop shots and is pretty successful with them. I guess she's succeeded plenty on grass. Yeah, and a great. I think a better surface than clay for her drop shots. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Vandrusova could definitely neutralize it better than Stevens. I'm, I'm guessing hardly anyone could neutralize the serving that Kanto was putting up in that second set, but that also doesn't seem sustainable, much like Halep's amazing returning turned out to not be sustainable. Um, yeah, I think it's it it's it feels like a closer matchup. Although then again, you gave one of the players 58% in the first matchup, so. Perhaps they're yeah. both close. I was not quite as close on this one, not to overly <laughs> foreshadow. Um, another interesting thing to note in that 
quarterfinal match is is Kanta went up the tee, down the tee, down the tee <laughs> on the serve, um, toward the tee, <laughs> a lot. And she she had a, a number of tee serves, was very successful in that direction. And that's something we've talked about uh, in related to Kanta's success on clay before. That it seems like the wide serve is a bigger weapon on clay, uh, both than it is on hard court and then the tee serve on clay. And I've always thought of Kanta as having this great weapon down the tee that we've seen so much in her grass court runs and her hard court success. But she's making it work on the clay court as well. Uh, it'll be I guess maybe Von Rosheva being a lefty will throw off the balance a little bit. I mean, still half of the time the tee serve goes to your backhand. Right. It, it doesn't negate the tee serve, but maybe, maybe it's just a little tougher for Kanta to play this game that's working so well for her this fortnight. So predictions. Again, I've registered mine. We have the the market and the ELO numbers handy. Carl, it's all up to you. Uh, Kanta is, to me, the underdog. Kanta is the underdog? Yes. Okay. But not by much. I'll put her at uh, 46%. Wow. That's very interesting because that is exactly what ELO does. So I'm I'm looking at your site. <laughs> the forecast is not on your site, but no. I can do math in my head. Are you looking at the ELO ratings? No, not this. No, but I was looking at your pre-tournament forecast. Oh, okay. And Von Drusovo is the head of... Yeah, maybe that should have been against the rules. But it's on the Heavy Topson blog. I know. It's the one time that the Heavy Topson blog should have been against the rules. I don't have it for the men's side. Okay, good. Let's keep it that way. Although we've already pre-registered one of your predictions. Well, not on the podcast. So... Okay, I'll stop speaking elliptically. So uh, Carl says Kanta is a 46% chance. Elo also has Kanta as a 46% underdog. The market likes Johanna Kanta, which I think means that there are a lot of British people who bet on tennis. (laughs) With British bookmakers who tend to be the market, right? Well, would would a British bookmaker favor... No, I just mean I think a lot of the odds we get come from British bookmakers. But, I mean, wouldn't British bookmakers be neutral to British players? Right, but they would just, most of their, many of their betters would be British. Okay. I think that you'd expect worldwide bookies to converge very quickly because that would, otherwise there would be arbitrage opportunities. Yeah, that's true. But in any, in any case. I mean, we do see some divergence if you look at some of those, those betting sites, though. Yeah, I don't think you see very maybe on things like outrights for entire tournaments. Hmm. Um, but in any case, definitely some British betting, definitely a lot of British enthusiasm for Joanna Conta. So the market disagrees with you. At least this component of the market disagrees. So fifty six percent for Conta. Yeah, I'm even more in favor of Von Drusheva. I I knock Conta down to thirty six percent. Um, but as you noted, probably noticing the the pre-tournament forecast, they're very close. Mm-hmm. Their blended clay elo is 29 points apart, which is basically nothing, pretty much a rounding error. Uh, so, so again, I'm the more extreme one here, and the rest of the rest of you are clustering between about 55 and 45 for both players. Uh, who do you think is the tournament favorite at this point? Ooh. I guess Barty. I mean, just because she's more like she's she seems from all indications to be the most likely to reach the final, and she's 
the highest rated and has been for a while at overall, not on clay. Yeah, the market agrees with you. The market has Barty as about a 36% favorite to win the tournament. Um, Which is pretty, I mean, you know, if you <laughs> divide it up evenly, it would be 25. So that's a pretty <laughs> yeah, it's, pretty it's even a huge uh, vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I didn't make my own prediction. I'm obviously I disagree with that because I think Anisimov is going to win the semifinal. So before we get to the men, I know you're all listening because you want to hear us talk about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and some other guy who's rounding out the semifinals. But uh, For the fourth straight year. For the fourth, for the fourth straight year, he is interloping. Uh, but we're going to make you wait a little bit longer because of the rain on Wednesday. They had to reschedule some things, so today we finish up the quarterfinals. Normally, the women's semis would have been today, right? That's right. Women's semis today, men's well today being Thursday. Yeah, this episode is better for this terrible delay because we can talk about all the semis. Yeah, it times out really nicely. So any future slams, looking at rescheduling, just. Check with us first for podcast optimization. So as it, so, the women's semis should have been on Thursday, men's semis on Friday. As it turned out, the women's semis are pushed to Friday as well as the men's semis. And because of ticket sales, I guess, because you were telling me that Roland Garros sold tickets for each of, the, each of the men's semis separately. Is that right? Yeah. So they're pretty committed to having both men's semis on Friday on Chatrier. Right. No way around that. So as a result, that means that the women's semis are scheduled for 11 on Longlin and Simone Matu simultaneously. Um, Steve Simon issued a statement expressing his, quote, disappointment with that. That'll uh, show him. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll show him when Steve Simon is disappointed. Uh, the earth shakes. Uh... The practical concern for someone like myself, who is undoubtedly going to get up at 5 a.m. and watch one of these matches tomorrow morning, or someone who happens to have a ground pass for tomorrow's tennis in Paris, which one would you watch? Oh, which of the two semis? Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't have a clear answer to this one either. I'm yeah. torn. I'm hoping you'll have a good idea for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for someone who's not physically there, it's easy because you can switch between them depending on how it's going. But not, if, not if you're charting one of them. Don't touch that remote, <laughs> Carl. But, um, you know, if you really have to commit now, I guess I would slightly lean toward Barty Anisimova because Anisimova is the more... She's she's so young. She's the youngest semifinalist since whatever uh, Venus Williams, right? Venus Williams, etc. I don't know. I think, I think Ben Rothenberg posted that. Um, and then you know Barty is by the tennis abstract measure the the best player in the world overall, and has a pretty fascinating story and has had a great comeback. So I guess I would choose that one. But I mean, yeah, you could make a case. You could make probably if if you tried right now to make a case for the other one, I would probably be convinced and choose that one. Yeah, I think that they, they both have a lot of potential, given how some matches have turned out in the last few days. When I say they have a lot of potential, they could also be 6-1, 6-3, and over in an hour and three minutes, and leave us all a little bit disappointed. But, yeah, lots of, lots of potential. We have contrasting styles in both. I, I'm really interested to see how Barty handles her slice against the Inesimova power. Uh, she has struggled. The, the one thing I was looking at when I was making my prediction was 
how Barty has played against some of the big hitters. And, I mean, this isn't entirely fair, but she's lost a couple matches to Kvitova. I mean, that isn't just because Kvitova's a big hitter. Kvitova's great. But she's lost to Kvitova. She's lost to Sabalenka. Uh, she, if she has a weakness, it might be the biggest hitters. Fortunately for Ashley Barty, she doesn't have a lot of weaknesses, but maybe that's it. So, interesting contrast in style could expose the favorite there. But then you could tell exactly the same story for Kanta Mondrosheva. Uh, really, really different styles, and maybe one cancels out the other. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, you can imagine any number of outcomes for both of these matches. So, And there's something, I mean... Kanta being in a semifinal slam period is a pretty great story given I just didn't think that was going to happen again. And then and on on clay with the chance to go to the final, it's, I know we're not supposed to, uh, you know, just be overwhelmed by the British narrative, but putting aside her nationality, I think it's it's pretty cool. I was going to say, is it cool putting aside her I mean, I, I, honest question, she's a good player. She's... She was a late bloomer. I, I mean, I, I don't know why she's interesting beyond how pretty good she is if <laughs> if we don't all read the British press so much. I mean, is there is there some reason? It could definitely be just living in London for four years. But uh, I, I like the players who have breakthroughs, their, first, their biggest breakthrough pretty late in their career. Okay. Well, she then, could go on like Vavrinka to win three three majors. That would be a big surprise. That, that you heard it here first. Here she from, could. You heard it here first from Carl Bialik. Johanna Conta, three-time French Open winner, just, just like <laughs> three in a row. Yeah, yeah. That that is Johanna Conta's route to the Tennis Hall of Fame is for for three French Open wins. So maybe that's a, oh. Before we switch over to the men, how do you feel about this schedule? I mean, do you think there's there's grounds for complaints about how the the women are being kind of shunted off onto the side courts? Definitely. Um, I don't totally understand everything that brought us to this point, but from what I gathered online, there was some decision earlier this week that could have gone the other way that um, pushed the women's draw uh, into a delay, put, like again, pushed the women's draw up against its prior commitment to playing the final on Saturday in a way that really compressed things and forced organizers' hands. Of course, there's also just some bad luck with rain here, combined with there being no roof at the French Open, which may be partly out of some sense that you can't have a roof at a clay major, but there's a roof, there are two roofs at a grass major. So I've, And they're building a roof. Okay, so they're over it. They just haven't built it over it. <laughs> um, so that's bad timing, too. I mean, it, it sucks, and I think some of this is that the... I think we were talking about the forecast for tomorrow is pretty bad, too, right? So they, they're they trying the, to start the... beginning, the yeah, I think the, the women's matches could end up being delayed quite a bit. Uh, the forecast isn't bad all day. The whole day won't be washed out, but the highest chance of rain is 11 o'clock. And if you put the women's matches consecutively, then the second women's match could end quite late the day before the final, which would suck, so... Uh, yeah, I think a lot of things, some of them decisions that may have been disadvantageous for the women, some of them weather-related, uh, sort of force the hand of the organizers tomorrow. As I say that, I'm realizing I might have just, I'm, I might have just been misleading about what time the rain is scheduled for. When I'm when I'm looking at a weather site, I'm not sure whether the times are in <laughs> New York time where I am or Paris time where the rain time is more relevant. But in any case. 
it's not going to rain all day. It's going to rain early, either <laughs> early during the tennis or early well before the tennis. So um, so don't get your weather forecast from the show. Yeah, come for the tennis <laughs> forecasting. Do not stay for the weather forecasting. That's the, that's the takeaway here, which leads us to more forecasting on the men's side. So let's start with Djokovic's team. I have them backwards in our outline, but Djokovic's team is the top of the draw. So let, let's let's flip our order of progression here and start with the forecast. So I love your commitment to like the top and bottom of draw at past a point where anyone cares. It's uh, it's admirable. Well, I, I it is random, and I don't I don't really care that much. I also just want to kind of save Federer and Nadal for our swan song here, but sure. Uh, but one. This is something that I think some fans are too sensitive about, but, I mean, Djokovic is at the top of the draw for a reason. Ah, okay, okay. Nadal might be our favorite, but Djokovic does have the one next to his name. If you if you use it as a password or something, team could have a one in his name. <laughs> but that's... He plays a lot of one-set matches. That's an unfortunate joke, even by my standards. So, Djokovic team, what is your forecast, Carl? Uh... Team, 44%. Wow. You have team at 44%. I have team at 45%. Okay. I, mean, I think we need to make this interesting. <laughs> the, we'll, we'll set the over-under at like 17.6 games. Yeah. So we'll have to count deuces or something. So we're basically in agreement around 44 45%. The market is not so optimistic about the Austrian. The market has him at 40, uh, 35%, rather. And the ELO forecast has him at 32%. Wow. That was supposed to be 32%. I don't know why I accented the 30, 32%. But, okay, so mid-40s for Carl and I, mid-30s for the algorithms of the market. Um, I mean, obviously you think that the, the market is too... Is too pessimistic about Dominic Team. What makes you think that Team has a good chance to knock off the number one here? I guess for the last four years, maybe he's Team has been the second best clay quarter ahead of Djokovic and has been really good at the French Open and has beaten Djokovic on clay. I think more than once. A couple times. Not the most recent meeting. They they played in Madrid, I believe, and Djokovic won in two tiebreaks. But the two meetings before that. Team one, um, and you know he looked, he looked really solid. He's looked solid, I think, throughout this tournament. He, he beat, did lose his set to Tommy Paul. That's true. <laughs> I, that's right. Yes, but Who's since then, since then, that's been his. He's a great game. grinder. Yeah. Um, so are you, but he's not <laughs> losing his set to you. No, but I'm mean, winning a set against him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, team. Um, Looked really good against Kachanov. I, that's not as impressive, I think, as Djokovic's win over Zverev, but still impressive. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of reason. It's I can't think of too many reasons to make Team the favorite, but he doesn't seem like a big underdog on just about any um, any way of of deciding. Yeah, that was that was pretty much my conclusion too. I mean, the, the recent head-to-head that doesn't give you any reason to think. Djokovic has his number, or team can't 
can't hang with him. That was my first thought when I'm imagining them on court together. It seems like team might just be too passive and Djokovic can push, push him around, but I don't think the results bear that out at all. Um, so I, I think that's, that's only in my head, <laughs> I guess. Um, as you say, Djokovic did have a, have a better win, did more because of circumstance than anything else, but I think he had the stronger quarterfinal win against Zverev than, than team playing Kachanov. I mean, do you think that, that Djokovic handling... I, mean, I think Zverev is... The, would you say Zverev is the best of the quarterfinal losers? Yeah. So, yeah. so if he had the toughest quarterfinal draw, let's say, I mean, he handled that pretty easily. Straight sets, one tie break, was it? 7-5. 7-5, not even a tie break. So, I feel like these days we're not quite sure what to think about Djokovic. He's not... He's not super unbeatable, no back of the past, but he's number one for a reason. He's winning a lot of matches. He looks good most of the time when he's playing the top guys. Does that does that Zverev match tell us that he's at the top of that range right now? Yeah, I think it's looking like that. I think he's been really strong for much of this tournament, like holding serve generally pretty comfortably, which he didn't do always against Zverev today, but still... Um, you know, if you win that comfortably, you've mostly been holding serve, and Zverev is a great returner. And uh, he, said, you know, obligatory mention, he's won 26 consecutive Grand Slam matches and is two away from four uh, major titles in a row. So I don't, I don't know how that should influence things. I think it doesn't influence things at all in the ELO ratings, but. Uh, the, that, that he's one, that he's two wins away from a Novak slam. Like there isn't a different Elo rating for best of five as no. for as for best of three, but um, looking really hard to to take three sets from. If if this one goes five, which I don't know what to think about the odds of that, but it's plausible. If this one goes five, do you do you think team has an edge there? No, definitely it's still Djokovic. Does still Djokovic, Djokovic have a bigger edge if it goes five? I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, you have the information that team was able to win two two sets. Um, on the other hand, I just think of Djokovic as so strong at the end of matches, and they're both equally unrested for this semifinal. Yeah, that is that is a factor that they they played today. Fortunately, both of them had pretty easy matches. So, it's I guess depending on what happens tomorrow, it's not much more strenuous than the end of a week at a Masters, but could be a factor. So. Do you think team has an edge in a fifth set? I'm not sure. It, it seems like an argument could be made, but I'm just thinking back to what was the was it team Nadal at the U.S. Open that was the epic and team played so well in that match, and I feel like he got stronger throughout the match. Well, he won the first set of Bagel, so I don't know about that. So later in the match. <laughs> Good point. Bear. <laughs> Sorry, it was Bear. He, was, very he was quite strong in the first set as well. Um, from that point and on... And he lost the fifth set. <laughs> he, he did lose the fifth set, but I mean, usually Rafa's the guy that yeah. he outlasts you. He He's the warrior in, in these marathon matches, and, and team matched him blow for blow until the very end. A mismatch, I think. Oof. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if this one comes down to a missed smash... <laughs> team wins. Exactly. <laughs> you have to favor team there. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. I Because this tournament has 
as we discussed a few days ago, it hasn't had a lot of really signature matches. We have got the buffering Kasitsipas match that's really the the one standout. Uh, the Federer Vavrinka match is pretty fun too, but it was four sets. So we haven't really seen these guys pushed. Uh, I, I can't even think of what some of Team's draw has been, but as we did also discussed three days ago, the, the big three have not had much in the way of competition. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they raise their games when they need to. Uh, so the, the big one, Federer and Nadal, we've been discussing this throughout the week since we've had a lot of time, rain delay influence and otherwise, to, to, to talk this one up. Carl, what is your forecast for Federer and Nadal? I, I think we all agree Nadal's the favorite, so let's let's give our percentages in in Federer terms. We should probably just skip this this match in the interest of time. Nobody wants to hear about it. Well, you know what else is going on this week is the WTA 125K in Bol, Croatia, which is a beautiful venue. Lots of good players there. Um, number one seed Tamara, Tamara Zidanecek is um, through to the quarterfinals. Um, two Slovenians in the quarterfinals, actually, including Kaya Yuvon, who um, played pretty well in Rolling Arrows qualifying, got into the main draws of Lucky Loser, and pushed Serana Kirstea really hard. <laughs> How long could you have done that? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if we weren't doing this in person, uh, you'd, you'd probably just hang up on me by the time I was done. No, no, it's kind but, of virtuoso performance. So, so yeah, Kaya Yvonne, really someone someone to watch in the bowl quarterfinals. Um, I thought we were going to maybe talk about men's doubles and this German team in the final, and, you know, 30 Love episode that you should all listen to. I've only talked about two of the players in the bowl quarterfinals, Carl. Oh, sorry, I have right. a there's lot. six more. I have a lot left. All right, Federer Nadal. <laughs> What's your forecast? So, this is sad, but I don't actually remember the number that I gave you the other day. I know it was a lot higher than yours. Was it 27? It was somewhere in there. I remember it as 28. I think you said 26 yesterday. I wrote down 26. <laughs> We've basically got a consensus. Let's say 27, since that's that's what you just came up with. So Carl's at 27. I said 14. That was my before I started looking at other numbers. So I'm sticking with 14. The market says, actually, the market might have moved. I looked at this a couple of days ago, but the market was at, at 12. And the ELO forecast is 22 and a half. And I think maybe the ELO forecast is a little bit favorable to Federer because it treats all clays as the same. And Federer's had some decent results on them faster Madrid clay, which where you'd expect him to, I think, do better than he would do in Paris. Uh, but I'm not sure if that matters more than one percentage point or something. I don't have a good sense of what that should mean, how big a difference the different clays are in terms of influencing the outcomes. Um, would your number change if this were... If this were a best of five final in Madrid, <laughs> uh, well, considering apparently that my number is too high, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe, it's, maybe that's what I calibrated to. Uh, yeah, I think it would be higher. I mean, I think he's he's beaten and uh, no, he only beat him once in Madrid, but he had another close match with him. I think in Madrid. Um, yeah, I would I would make it a. a tick higher, but I mean, Nadal's won Madrid more than Fed has, and even though it's not optimal clay, it's still clay. It is still clay. Um, now, one thing I found interesting is we disagreed a bit about Nadal Nishikori. I think I was at 22 and you were at 32 for Nishikori, something like that. Yeah. And the market 
just laughed at us and had Nishikori at 5%, and then the results ended up making the market look a bit smarter than us, I think. Uh, I mean, you never really know what how to, how to compare percentages for the match win versus the score line, but, I mean, Nishikori was never in that match. Uh, do you think we could see us... I mean, we're, we're being more negative about Fed. I guess I have two questions there. I think I might have asked this one on Monday as well. Do we believe that Nishikori had a better chance against Nadal than Federer has against Nadal? I mean, our numbers are saying that that's what we believe. Does that make sense, put in those terms? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's harder to say yes after seeing the results. But, <laughs> but you know, Nishikori, one wild card that may have affected Nishikori somewhat is the fatigue factor, given that he needed two days to beat pair. And again, we don't know if that showed his level or lowered his level. Right. Um, or just bewildered him mentally. Like four hours on court playing Benoit pair. <laughs> Can happen to anybody. Uh, I mean, I think it, it makes sense to me that Nishikori is stronger on clay now than Federer overall, or at least we have more evidence for it in recent years. Um... But, you know, the, your your forecasts are a blend of overall level and clay level for a reason, and Federer's overall level is really high. Uh, and I don't, this is this is one where I don't really know the answer to, to how the forecast would look different if you were able to update ELO throughout the tournament. Like, neither Federer nor, nor Nadal has a lot of great wins, but because Federer was starting from such a lower level, does that increase his UO more and I don't for both of them because they have we have so much data on them already um, I so so I did some work last year on the on the effect of an injury or a long absence and if if Federer had been out in general for for years and had come back just in Madrid then we'd make these recent matches count for a lot but I don't do that on a surface by surface basis okay. so the fact that Federer hadn't played on clay for three years doesn't mean that his current clay matches matter a lot. Maybe it should. I'm not sure. That's something worth testing um, because we were very negative yeah. about Federer's clay comeback. Uh, Elo probably was skeptical as well because algorithms have feelings. <laughs> and yeah, he's he's outperformed that by a lot and just just by being here beating Vavrinka, maybe not convincingly, but looking pretty good on the surface. And just all these other wins. Like, I think the way we were talking about it, we expected someone would come along and, and have a good day and knock out Fed because he hadn't, he just wasn't that motivated or wasn't that comfortable on the surface or whatever. Um, that hasn't happened, hasn't come close to happening. So maybe maybe Elo should take that into account more since it had no information there. But I, I doubt that it would be more than a 1% swing if that if we if we did it with the algorithm I have now. Um, the other thing is tactics. You know, we've seen Nadal beat Fed a lot on clay. Often it's been pretty one-sided. But the way I heard, I saw somebody phrase it this way on Twitter today, or maybe in something I clicked on from Twitter, that Nadal, or Fed used to try to play Nadal as if every match was a match on clay. Like, he, he tried to beat Nadal at his own game. That isn't entirely true, but I see what they're saying. And then when he came back at the Australian Open a couple of years ago, he had a new way of playing it all, and it worked. He hasn't lost in it all since then, right? Right. So we haven't seen them play on clay since then because Federer hasn't played on clay. 
presumably he's going to be more aggressive. He's been serving volleying some throughout the tournament. Uh, he's been more aggressive on his backhand like he has been for the couple of years since his comeback. Do you think, do you think that's going to make a difference in the outcome of this match? I think on the margins, yeah. I mean, I think uh, it should, for one thing, be less exhausting for Federer if he keeps if he stays aggressive and keeps the point short. He could keep them short because he's getting passed at the net on the second shot. So uh, it, it, that's why I would think on the margins. But because it, this is not a surface that would really reward that kind of play nearly the same way. I mean, all of his wins had been on hard courts uh, since the return. It's also, I know you were saying it's not exactly true, like, this idea that he was playing completely differently against Nadal before his comeback, as in to- always the same, whatever the surface. I mean, he crushed, he comfortably beat Nadal, for instance, indoors a few times, playing a very different style. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've heard people say things like, oh, well, like Federer's been serving volleying more on clay, so that's going to work against Nadal. That. That never, that basically never works against Nadal on clay. And he hasn't been serving serving volleying that much. I mean, the, the baseline level of serving volleying, even on all across surfaces, is very close to zero percent. And the baseline level of serving volleying on clay is even closer to zero percent. So if he comes forward once every other game, that feels like, oh my God, we have a serving volleyer at the French <laughs> Open. <laughs> and it's I, 1964. <laughs> it's 1964. So I, I don't have the numbers. I, I've only watched most of one of his matches so far. So I don't know how, just how much he's serving volume. But he's not. Yeah, he hasn't turned into Pat Rafter this week. Uh, it's, it's more like he's mixing it up, keeping their turner off balance. And, I mean, that I don't think that's going to make much of a difference against Rafa, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think it'll be more about uh, trying to stay close to the baseline, using his skills with half volley, aggressive shots, um, going down the line a lot, trying to hit behind him. But I, it's the familiar patterns that Nadal has failed to um, convert into wins recently against Federer seem likely to work on clay. Yeah, so we all agree on that. Of these matches, all of the all four of our forecasts, our meaning me, Carl, the ELO projection, and the market. Uh, all four of the Federer and Nadal projections have them are more lopsided than all but one of the other projections, and that's Enesimova's chances, according to ELO. Hmm. So, and as we discussed, if we updated that through the Hallett match, that probably wouldn't be the, the case. So, yeah, the, the most boring, inconsequential match tomorrow will be Federer and Nadal. <laughs> and I mean, that says a lot more about Nadal. Like, I think, except maybe for Ashley Barty, everyone else would have a lower chance. Than, no, that's not true. <laughs> I would have loved to see Vondra Shavad and Nadal. That would be, be interesting. A, the lefty match. match. Yeah, the lefty. I didn't even think about the, the lefty consideration. But yeah, that, that's the match I want to see tomorrow. I mean, I think Federer, think, saying that this more seriously, Federer would be the underdog against the other two as well. Certainly Djokovic, I think probably team. Yeah, I would agree with that against Team on Clay. It's just so, a really strong group. I mean, I think Federer would be the favorite against everyone else in the field who didn't make it this far, just about. Zverev, Sitsipas? Close. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly easy to imagine him winning. And, and maybe, I said earlier, Zverev seemed like the strongest of the quarterfinalists, and I 
do think that's true, but the reason I was hesitating was thinking of Vavrinka and mm. the, the, how Vavrinka played. Vavrinka played a great match. Vavrinka looked a little bit like 2015 on Clay Vavrinka. I saw a great tidbit, too, that the year before Vavrinka's French Open title um, in 2015, yeah. the year before that, he lost in the first round to Guillermo Garcia Lopez. And last year at the French Open, he lost in the first round to Guillermo <laughs> Garcia Lopez. So the stars were aligned. I hope that's actually true. I didn't check it. <laughs> it it's too good to check, I guess. Especially if you're Guillermo Garcia Lopez. The kingmaker. The, the kingmaker, and almost as old as Feliciano Lopez and Ivo Karlovich, who not only met in the first round of the Roland Garros, but also met in today, I think, in, in the round of 16 at the Cerbaton Challenger. So those of you who are yearning for some grass matches to watch, you can start now. There's nothing stopping you. You don't have to watch this nonsense in, in France that's shuffling women off to the side courts. You can, Or you can watch it because it all happens at once. There's actually not that many hours of tennis every day. You could do both. There's not that many hours of tennis every day? Live, like the period in which they're playing. Because at, they're all playing. At this, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can Got just, it. you can finish the two matches and then watch service. And if any, I don't think any of our listeners remain unaware of this, but just in case, virtually every ATP Challenger match is not only live streamed on livestream.com, but it's archived for, as far as I know, forever. So if you want to watch some Challenger matches, you can do that. And, um... Uh, It's a fun way to pass the time during rain delays and grand slams and things like that. So for this bonus episode, I think this is a a good moment to wrap it up. One final thought, Carl. Let's assume Nadal, knowing what we know now, I know we talk about this every week, every episode I ask you this question, but assuming our favorites get to the final, Nadal Djokovic is our, our French Open final, Nadal's playing for French Open number 37 or whatever, and Djokovic is playing for the Novak Slam. Number two. Novak slam number two, um, Novak slash Serena slam. Who's your favorite? I guess Nadal. I don't know. That it's, sounds like a fifty-one point seven percent chance. Yeah, it's it's somewhere between fifty-two and fifty-five. I think. Okay, I think the market is way more pro Rafa because they've got Rafa at fifty-eight percent just to win the tournament. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Um, it's a little hard on Joe. I mean, Djokovic, they, they each won one of the last two big masters, and um, Djokovic made the final of the other, and Djokovic's streak, and yeah, yeah. But Nadal, I think, his head-to-head against Djokovic is pretty lopsided on clay. Yeah, I think I'd have to go closer to 60 for Nadal, maybe even a little higher, depending on how things go tomorrow. I, I don't know how much the Federer match is going to tell us about how Nadal will fare against Djokovic just because the styles are so different. Uh, but I mean, really, it would tell us something if Federer won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would... That would give us a lot of information about how Nadal will do in the final. Yeah, that would <laughs> drastically reduce his chances of winning the tournament. I did I did check the... When I was checking right before we recorded the, the outrights to, to win the women's tournament, Halep was down to... to Zero to one. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but there was a You but could she, still make it. She was still listed. You could still make that bet. If anyone still wants to make that bet and it's no longer <laughs> available, just email me. I would be happy to take the action on that one. Uh, but as you say, Carl, this is a fantastic semifinal lineup. I mean, very different in, in a very different way. It's fantastic from the the women's lineup. I mean, 
to me, the, the women's Final Four is, is fascinating. We're going to get some great matches, or at least the potential for some great matches. We'll and, learn a lot more about those four people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of them have made a Grand Slam final, let alone won a Grand Slam. But we know a lot more about the four men, maybe more than we want to, I don't know. <laughs> but no matter what happens tomorrow, we're going to get a fantastic final. Um, so we have three... Which could be straight sets. <laughs> sure. I mean, any, any of these matches could be, but I mean, that that's just the nature of the beast. So we have three great men's matches to look forward to to finish this one off. Um, and eight matches left <laughs> at the WTA 125K event in Bowl. Wait, seven, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's one doubles match. Oh, okay. There's some other doubles matches that aren't as good. I don't know. I, I walked right into that one. Um, probably more than eight if you count the doubles matches. There's some fantastic doubles action there as well. But how many Slovenians in the doubles? I'm not sure. But when you when you think about it, Slovenian tennis compared to the size of the country is really impressive. I I don't know offhand what the population of Slovenia is. Do you? It might be under ten. Yeah, look it up, because I was thinking Sweden's around 10, Norway's around 5, or 5 or 6, so I'm curious where Slovenia slots in with those, but it's tiny. I mean, I've been there. It's There's not a lot of people in Slovenia. I love that you're uh, filibustering, because the result didn't come up as quickly as I <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about my trip to Slovenia, <laughs> the, the lovely capital of Two Ljubljana. Million. Two million. Yeah. So it is one-fifth the size of Sweden. Maybe that's not the best example since Sweden doesn't have much in the way of tennis stars these days. But two million people and like 10% of them are in the WTA rankings. In, I think they have three top ones. I mean, it's players. like the borough of Brooklyn and not really bringing a lot of tennis heat these days. I wouldn't even know. Are there any Brooklynites? Well, Noah Rubin is Long Island, right? Yeah. So he's technically not a Brooklynite. Are there any other New Yorkers? That's what I'm saying. Slovenia dominates Brooklyn. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'm sure everyone who tuned in for Catherine at all this week is is gripped by... Slovenia versus Brooklyn. Slovenia versus Brooklyn versus Norway. Uh, I don't know. There's a there's a Danish player in the junior top boys 10 who's still in the, in the junior tournament in Paris. I just learned that today. I would say his name, but that would require me to pronounce it well and... That's definitely not going to happen. So on that note of failure, Carl, as always, thank you for joining me. In my apartment. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the part of the apartment, right, or the exact chair. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. This has been episode 64. Everyone enjoy the rest of the tournament, and hopefully we'll have something for you to wrap up Roland Garros in another few days. See you then.